Welcome to Your Pathways to Wealth, where Charlie Massimo and Peter Anastasian are on a mission to bring clarity to the world of finances. Together, they bring a wealth of knowledge to help you uncover a way to simplify your financial life. Join Charlie and Peter and their guest experts as they venture to help you preserve what you've built and enjoy what you've earned. Now, let's talk wealth. You rely on your financial advisor for education and information. And when advisors Charlie Massimo and Peter Anastasian want to make sure they have the latest information in their arsenal, they turn to specialists. For trusts and estates, the person they turn to is Jordan Lynn. Jordan is a partner at Tannenbaum, Halper, in Syracuse and Hurstrit, and has more than 20 years experience in the area. So Peter, Charlie, how do you know Jordan? Well, we, we met Jordan. I met Jordan quite a while ago through a mutual client of ours. And, you know, when you meet someone that you really gel with and you meet someone that you know is going to treat your clients the same way you treat them, you, you have this natural affinity. Um, so we've had a longstanding relationship and, and something I'm proud of. And Jordan has this great bedside manner as an attorney, and not all attorneys have that great bedside manner, but Jordan certainly does. So we've known each other for quite a while. And what are we going to talk about today? Well, you know, while thinking about legacy planning can be unpleasant because it involves discussions about incapacity or mortality, it's an important aspect of good financial planning that should not be ignored. And it's something as a holistic planner, Peter and I always talk to our clients about. And an estate plan consists of four basic documents, a will, a living trust, a financial power of attorney, and a medical power of attorney and advanced directive. And these documents should be well integrated, funded, and aligned with your financial plan. Now, Jordan talks about, and Jordan, I've loved your posts on LinkedIn. You talk a lot about advanced planning for business owners and things I'd love to have you back to talk about. But today, we really want to touch on the basics and some of the myths that surround the basic um, um, issues when it comes to estate planning. So first, I'd like to welcome you, Jordan, and, and thanks for your time this morning for being on a podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me, uh, Charlie and Peter. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Great. So let's start off right away with a will. And everybody knows what a will is, talks about a will. But the myth we hear a lot, I have a trust, so I don't need a will. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that 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 is certainly a, a, a common myth. Um, you know, the the beauty of a living trust is, you know, I always describe it to my clients as it's like a briefcase or, a, a you know, a, a vessel that you carry with you during your lifetime. And the goal is to transfer your assets into that vessel to carry it in this briefcase. Um, but not everything always makes it into the briefcase. You acquire assets later in life when you, you know, you forgot to put them in the trust something is, you know, falls through the cracks. Um, and then, you know, that asset doesn't know where it goes. It doesn't have a beneficiary. It doesn't belong to your trust. So it would need to pass through your will, through the probate process in order to get to the right people. Um, and that is one of the major reasons that you would also need a will. The other is if you have minor children, you need a place to nominate a guardian for that child. And that would typically occur within the last will and testament as well. So uh, yeah, the, the will and the trust go hand in hand, but you do need both. You know, the, the sad irony of us speaking today is that you talk about getting it into a trust while you can. After this podcast, Peter and I unfortunately have to attend a funeral for a client of ours. And we just saw him 
last week, last Monday, right, Peter? Yes, last Monday. Uh, and he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And he said, you know, Charlie, Peter, there's all these things I've been wanting to do to update my will and trust. I just haven't had time. So now can we do do it quickly? And unfortunately, we couldn't do it quick enough. And, you know, that's where that's why we're attending his funeral today. But, you know, the, the timing, you're so right. We're only as healthy as we are today. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And, you know, to hesitate on this stuff is just unfortunate when you can't get to it. Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't, you know, uh, I've been doing this for a while. And, uh, you know, there have been a number of occasions where I've gone to visit a client in the hospital, where they want to make last minute changes to their documents. And, you know, we never get a chance to sign those documents, because within the day or two, it takes us to, to draft them and get back to, to see them in the hospital again, they're gone. So uh, yeah, you know, it, it is important to address this, the, these important things while you're still healthy and, and able to do it. Jordan, you tend to hear from others or even couples for that matter that, hey, you know what, I don't need a will necessarily. And and again, this is no matter their wealth. This is the perhaps misconception, but I don't need a will. Everything is just going to pass on to my spouse and my family. Uh, what may be or are some of the potential drawbacks in utilizing you know, a strategy such as that? Yeah, my, you know, my philosophy, you, you hear that question, you know, well, how much money uh, should I have before it's time to do a will? Or how old should I be? You know, my philosophy is, is as soon as you're, you're married, you have children, you start to acquire assets, you need at least a basic will. Um, you know, people are under the misconception that if they get married, and they have children, and they're, you know, just starting their family, um, and they pass away, they don't need a will because everything's just going to go to their spouse. Um, and, and while that may be true with jointly owned property or property that has a beneficiary designation, um, the assets that would actually, you know, that are in your name that don't have beneficiaries would not pass to your spouse. They would pass roughly half to your spouse and half to your children, which could be babies. Um, and, and that's probably not what most people want. So, you know, even in a simple situation like that, you know, those basic documents that uh, that Charlie mentioned, um, you know, really should be thought about and 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 put into place um, pretty early. And, and, and Jordan, this is not necessarily a myth, but because we've brought up the name Living Trust so many times, just briefly, can you explain, because people under the sometimes the misconception that I have a living trust and that's all I need. And they don't necessarily understand the difference between a living trust, which is most of the time revocable, yeah. and an irrevocable trust, and how each may benefit um, your estate plan. So can you just talk briefly on the differences between the two, revocable and irrevocable? Absolutely. It's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, the revocable trust or the living trust, you know, the easiest way to understand it is it, it's like a fancy will, right? And it exists during your lifetime, that whole briefcase concept that I that I mentioned before, where you're you're living with it during your lifetime, but it's still your asset. You can put property in, you can take property out, you can change it, you can revoke the whole thing. It, it, it's like your alter ego. Um, and the whole reason that you would have that is really to simplify the process of how the assets get to your beneficiaries upon your death. Um, it doesn't, you're not giving anything away. You're not saving necessarily on taxes in any way that you couldn't do it, you know, in a will. Um, it, it's really just this vessel that helps to make the administration of your estate easier. 
irrevocable trusts are really situations where you're giving something away. You know, sometimes it's something that you're not really going to miss. Like, you know, you're giving away the death benefit of a life insurance policy. Okay. Um, you know, but sometimes, you know, when we're talking about business succession planning, you're giving away interest in your business or you're giving away a piece of real estate. Um, those are the irrevocable trusts that are typically created for the purposes of either saving on estate taxes or in some cases where someone is concerned about the costs of nursing home care and they're doing what we call Medicaid planning. So th those are the, you know, the two classes of trust, the irrevocable trusts where you really are giving something away and the revocable trusts where you're, these are the assets that you're retaining and will pass ultimately when to pass away. Right. Uh, appreciate that explanation. So let's Stay on the topic of, of living trust for a second. So a big myth we hear a lot is I have a trust, a living trust, so I don't need a financial power of attorney. And obviously, I think that's a huge mistake. And this is yeah. really, really important. So let's talk yeah. about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So 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 the living trust, you know, will appoint a, a successor trustee. So you're the trustee of your living trust, typically, as long as you're able to manage your own assets. Like I said, this is just your alter ego. It's like having money in two different pockets, right? The money I have in my regular pocket and the money that I have in my revocable trust. So you could have a successor trustee that, you know, if you became incapacitated, the trustee could come in and manage the assets that are in the trust. And that's that's a nice aspect of having a, a living trust. Um, but that trust does not control the assets that you haven't put into your living trust. So um, those assets you're controlling personally in your individual capacity. And if you became incapacitated, or let's just say you were out of the country and unavailable to sign documents, nobody is empowered to deal with those assets. The trust is irrelevant because those assets don't belong to the trust. That's where the power of attorney comes into play to deal with all of those other decisions and elect elections and tax decisions and dealing with your insurance policies and your retirement accounts, all the things that wouldn't naturally go into your living trust, the power of attorney allows somebody to step into your shoes and manage those assets. So again, a, an essential part of that kind of four, four document uh, package that you were, you were alluding to. Yeah, and that's it's, it's so important because for the majority of investors out there, their largest asset is their IRA in many instances. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. not having this financial power of attorney, to your point, no one would have the ability to make any decisions or or control that IRA when you're no longer able to do that. Um, so that's right. really, really important. But But having said that, can someone name a trust as a beneficiary to an IRA? That's that's a very complicated question, Charlie, because you know the rules for a trust owning a retirement account are very different than an individual. So, um, just to to try to to summarize, you know, the, the typical trust, the answer is no. You probably wouldn't want to do that. Um, the reason why is, you know, if if your beneficiary of your retirement account, and these these are you know, I'm speaking generally, there are always exceptions to all of these rules. So please consult with your with your tax professionals. <laughs> but um, generally, if you're leaving your spouse uh, as the beneficiary of your retirement account, they can roll that account over and basically treat it like their own. So they, you know, the required minimum distributions could be relatively small and you could, you know, continue to 
uh, earn uh, income tax deferred um, on those accounts, right? If the spouse is the beneficiary, if anybody else is a beneficiary, they're going to have a maximum typically of 10 years to draw that down. And they're going to have to pay the uh, the income taxes on those withdrawals as they take it out. So 10 years is, is pretty quick. If you don't name an individual by default, you would only have five years. And that would include naming a trust as the beneficiary because it's not a person. So all the taxes would have to be paid and all the money would have to come out within five years, which in most cases is a, is a, is a lost opportunity. You'd rather have at least that 10 years. Um, there are special trusts that we can create to be beneficiaries of a retirement account where you can have your cake and eat it too. You can you can have the, the trust be the beneficiary and you can still have the 10 years, but that's a specially purposed trust or at least a provision within a trust um, that's got to be set up. So I wouldn't just willy-nilly name a trust as beneficiary without being under the advice of your accountants and your attorneys. Yeah, and, and and that's an important point because for me, you know, having two special needs children, that that was for me a necessity to create that type of trust um, for their well being. But you're right; it is it is much more complicated, and this is where some of that advanced planning comes into play. So we talked about we talked about financial power of attorney. Can you talk a little bit about medical power of attorney and advanced directives? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know it's obviously a very, very important document to have. And I think a myth that's associated with that is this is the document uh, that that enables somebody to pull the plug, so to speak, right? That that somebody's, uh, you know, being given a, a standing do not resuscitate order by signing a healthcare directive. And that's that's completely not the idea behind a a healthcare proxy or or a, or a medical power of attorney. Um the idea behind that document is to allow someone to make healthcare decisions for you if you're unable to make those decisions for yourself. So it's not just life and death decisions. It's you know, should a medication be given? Should a procedure be done? If you're not able to make those decisions, you know, the the doctors and the hospitals need to have one voice in the waiting room that's going to be able to communicate what you would have wanted under these circumstances. And, and that's why it's important to designate a person think about you know i always i always tell my clients when they're struggling to pick someone you know all of your friends and family have, have gathered in the waiting room and they're they're you know they're waiting to speak to the doctor and the doctor comes out and there's a decision to be made who's the person that should communicate that decision to your doctor you know who would understand best what you would want under these circumstances and communicate that clearly to your healthcare providers. And with that document comes a, a HIPAA release, which allows your healthcare providers to share information about your condition with your healthcare agent, because if they don't have that, they're making a decision in the dark, right? They need, they need to know everything that they can find out before they make a decision. So, um, you know, you don't want everyone yelling over each other, trying to shout the loudest at the doctor, um, you know, you really want to appoint one person to to make those decisions at a time. And, and, and again, these are, when we talk about examples of these, they're always horrible examples because that's where you learn from. And um, I remember many years ago, well, I still have as a friend, but many years ago, his dad passed away suddenly. And then literally two days after his mom was put into the emergency room and for an entire seven months, she stayed 
in critical care. And because there were no healthcare proxies or directives, he sat there, watched his mom suffered, and he could not help her right. because he was not able to make any decisions on her behalf. And I remember after she passed and he said, Charlie, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I would never wish that on my worst enemy. So these are things. So, you know, when Peter and I and, and you and you push your clients, hey, let's let's get it done. You know, there's there's no real motive to us asking or saying that other than we've seen how horrible, horrific it can be if you don't have it done. And, and and having said that, Jordan, what advice would you give to people that are really on the fence or just saying, hey, I don't know who to name trustee. I don't know who to name power of attorney. I don't know who to name these people. What yeah. advice do you give them just to kind of get off the fence and start something? You know, I, I love that question, Charlie, because it, it comes up so often. Um, you know, I, I, I refer to it as as paralysis by analysis, right? They, they want to make the perfect decision. They want to pick the perfect person that's going to make the perfect decision. And they're not confident about the people that they're, you know, that they're thinking about appointing. Um, my my advice is to make the best decision based on the people in your life and the information that you have available right now. Um, none of these things are set in stone. Uh, even when we're preparing an irrevocable trust, we have the ability to remove and replace typically the trustee with somebody else. So if, if it turns out you made a bad decision on your trustee, we usually have the option to get rid of that person and appoint someone new. Um, and certainly that's the case with, you know, fiduciaries appointed in your will or your trust, a revocable trust or your healthcare agent or your power of attorney. You can simply revoke it. So, you know, paralysis by analysis means, you know, you've got nothing. No documents are in place and everything is left to the winds. Um, uh, you know, it's better to make the best decision that you can appoint the best choice that you can think of right now. And understand that if you, you know, if you regret that decision a few months from now, it's very easy to uh, make these changes and and get a different person appointed. So, um, yeah, and it, and it and it unfortunately happens all the time. And that's why sometimes I'll meet with a client, we'll prepare documents, and then wait six months or a year until they finally pull the trigger to sign because they're just not sure. Better to have those documents in place. Um, and and make the changes later. Jordan, w once these initial documents are in place, how often should they be reviewed? Um, you know, my rule of thumb is every three to five years at minimum, you know, take the document. Usually these documents, you know, we prepare them. You feel good that you checked something off of your list. You put them away in a drawer and you forget about them. And that's, you know, unless you're doing a lot of ongoing tax planning, uh, or Medicaid planning, you know, that's usually appropriate, right? I have my copy in my vault, you have uh, your copy saved. And, you know, it's not something you you deal with every day, but every three to five years, take them out, take a look at them, you know, call your call your trust and estates attorney and just say, you know, has anything changed in the law? Is there anything that's 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 going on, which would necessitate us taking a second look? Uh, at what we've done here and make changes. Or you you might just look and say, oh, I forgot that I appointed, you know, a, a, a friend that uh, moved out of the country as my healthcare agent. I really should, you know, appoint someone new. Um, so yeah, three three to five years at a minimum just to just to check it over and maybe give your attorney a call. 
Uh, Jordan, another thing that Peter and I find that's it's it's kind of you know re- related to the whole estate planning issue is parents that are wealthy are shy about talking to their children about their wealth and inheriting that wealth, thereby never explaining the estate plan that's in place. And yeah. it, it kind of wreaks havoc when the f- children have no idea what's going on. And Peter and I always try to bring families together to have that conversation. And, and again, along the advice line, what do you tell your clients about sitting down and having that kind of family discussion and the importance of that? It, it's so important. Um, you know, the last thing that you want when you're, you know, when you're considering your estate planning is to put your children at odds with each other, to, you know, have ambiguities in your planning that are going to, you know, cause people to fight. You want to be clear. You want everything to be out in the open if you can. Um, and and having that open communication really just makes things a lot easier. You know, when we're dealing with the second part of, of you know, what I do on a day-to-day basis, right? I do a lot of the planning, but then after, you know, clients pass away, their families will rely on me to help them administer the estate and, you know, probate the will if necessary. And, deal with the unwinding of all of these trusts and setting up the, you know, the trusts for the the disabled child or the child that needs, uh, you know, a, a trust established for creditor protection purposes. So, you know, having all of this planning on the table and having the children understand what to expect and, and what resources are available to them, right? Here's who my attorney is. You should, you should meet my attorney so that you have some familiarity with 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 him or, or her. Um, you know, this is who my financial planner is, and these are where the assets are kept, and they can help you to to set up the accounts after you know the estate is administered. This is who my accountant is; they have access to all of my records. And here's what I'm planning for each of you. And just having that open discussion, I think, saves a world in um, you know attorney time, potential litigation. Um, and just kind of a lifetime of discord if things are set up in the wrong way where you're you're really putting the kids at odds yeah. with each other. Yeah, and just think about it, man. You, you, let's say that you, you pass away and your children never met your attorney. They don't even know you have a will, where it is, who the attorney is. Where do you go from there? I right. mean, it just creates such a, a bottleneck and you're going through this emotional stress of of losing a loved one now to have the anxiety of trying to figure out and get everything together. And that's you know one of the things Peter and I do is we provide that vault where we upload all the documents um, so that it's easy, easy access. But what one question there, and I know we have to wrap up soon, but one question there, people always say, well, I have a will. And if I take the staple out, they can't use it. I mean, can you talk about that? If you have a will and you take these staples, well, I've heard this, but I've never seen that in practice work or not work where a will didn't hold up. I'm just not sure. Yeah. So, so anytime a will is, is, offered to the court for probate, you know, it's it's going to be scrutinized in, in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, they want to make sure that it was executed properly, that there were witnesses, all the requirements of a will, right? Um, they want to make sure it's an original, they want to make sure it's the last will and testament, right? That the, uh, the this person didn't create a will years later that would replace this one. Um, and they're going to physically inspect the will um, to see if it looks like it's been tampered with. Um, so one of the common issues that you'll come across is, 
um, you know, it's evident that staples were removed from the from the will. Um, and 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 that requires an explanation. Uh, and usually the explanation is, you know, I, I took the will home and I just wanted to have a photocopy of it for safekeeping. So I pulled the photocopies, the, the staples out. I ran it through the photocopier and then I restapled it. You know, as long as no one is is you know advocating the idea that the will was tampered with and the pages were swapped out, generally that's an acceptable um, explanation. But I mean, the the easy answer is don't pull the staples out of your will. <laughs> it's just one additional thing that can complicate it can complicate the situation. So you know, better to understand why you shouldn't and avoid that situation. Um, entirely well jordan I, we really appreciate you being with us we'd love to have you back and our listeners i really encourage you to look jordan up on his linkedin he posts really phenomenal articles on all estate planning issues and next time we have you back we do want to talk about some of the advanced planning issues and jordan is located both in manhattan and long island and and again we really appreciate our relationship with him and and being part of our extended team so again jordan thank you for being with us today thank Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Jordan. And now, Peter, how can listeners reach you? As always, they can call our office at 631-777-1030 or go to yourpathwaystowealth.com. And listeners, take a holistic approach to life and retirement with Charlie and Peter. Follow this podcast, share with others, and thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Your Pathways to Wealth podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at Wealth Enhancement Group or give us a call at 1-800-492-1222. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Wealth Enhancement Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.